live in a, a world with a wide variety of ideas as to who Jesus is and who he was. Um, and so this morning, I just want to share with you five things that Americans believe about Jesus. It was just based on a uh, survey and re- a research done by the Barna Group uh, two years ago. Uh, the vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. So if you're ever thinking, I hate to get into an argument with an atheist who says Jesus never existed. 92% of the people in the United States believe Jesus existed, so you don't have to worry about that argument. But if you run into the 8%, okay, you're lucky. I'm sorry, just uh, um, surprised. That's the majority of Americans believe Jesus is a real person. Younger generations are increasingly less likely uh, to believe Jesus was God. They believe he existed. They believe he was, there was a person called Jesus, uh, but less likely to think he's God. Uh, millennials, uh, about 48% think he was God. Uh, the elders, that means my parents are uh, about 62%. Now, some people think that's depressing. I'm not so sure. Because what God do they think Jesus was? Okay, that's an issue we've been trying to wrestle with, isn't it? Uh, Americans are also divided over whether Jesus was, was sinless, whether he lived, led a sinless life or not. 42% or 46% say yes, Jesus led a sinful life, while 52% I said, sinful, sinless. There's a big difference. Thank you for asking. Americans are divided to whether Jesus was sinless or whether he led a sinless life. Okay? Uh, 46% say yes. Uh, While 52% say no. And most Americans say they've made a commitment to Jesus Christ of like 62%. And that is an important part of their lives. And people, number five, people are conflicted between Jesus and good deeds as the way to heaven. Now, it's really easy for us to, if we're gathered here inside a church building on a Sunday morning, to think those people out there are kind of screwed up. Um, but they are not the only ones with problems and conflicts about who Jesus is and what he does and what he wants for us. And to be honest, I sometimes wonder why someone didn't intervene in my life to clear up my confusion when I was much younger. Faithful church people. So I'm going to talk to faithful church people this morning. Faithful church people like you and me often need somebody to tell us we have a problem. We, we have a perception problem. We do not see people from Jesus Some of you are already arguing with me, and that's okay. You can argue with me all you want. 
I've been in the church probably as long as you well, I've been in the church longer than some of you've been alive. And I've probably been in church nearly as long as any of you. We went there the first Sunday after I was born on Friday. What happened to your parents in We have a perception problem. We do not see people from Jesus' point of view. How, why, here's my thing. How can we know that we're not looking at people like Jesus does? But one of the most prominent perception problems stems from our tendency to, to put areas of our lives into little boxes and little compartments. And, 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 and then it grows from there and we start putting people in boxes. We, we put some ideas and behaviors into boxes called sacred or biblical or at church. In our family, we have a joke about what happens to somebody who lies in a church building on a Sunday morning. Because that's, you know, you're messing not only with the church, but you're messing with God's church. So we put some things in secular, biblical, expert, God-day boxes. At the same time, we put other things into boxes called secular, unbiblical, not at church, and my time. So there's God's day and there's my time. Actually, God's day is more like an hour and a half, if I feel like it. Uh, soon, this system, this, this way of compartmentalizing and boxing up areas of our lives, uh, the suddenly seeps into our view of people, and then we put them into boxes like believers or unbelievers, good or bad, doctor or them, Protestant or Catholic, Wesleyan or Baptist, righteous or sinful, and I could go on and on and on because the number of boxes we tend to put people in. We're really creative when it comes to that. And before we realize it, we've started seeing people, uh, other people, as enemies to avoid. Or worse yet, to destroy. Sometimes the, the way we think matters with the way we look at people. So for example, we, we can drift away from depending on God's grace, His love and His grace, to resting on our good behavior. It is so easy for us to be deceived in this area. We think that walking with God and, and being right with Him uh, is a result of all of our efforts to be righteous. Be different from those that were exposed by. We don't think we, we, we tend to think that our so-called good choices 
make us good people. They don't. That is self-righteousness. If what I do makes me righteous, then it's self-righteousness. And that is every bit as bad or worse than being unrighteous. I'm not sure about that. Okay. The people who got the worst rebuke for Jesus were not unrighteous. They were self-righteous. And righteousness isn't a measure of right behavior, but of something that is much deeper inside of us, a wellness, a wholeness, a, a healing at the very core of our soul. Righteousness comes from, not, not from being for God, but from being right with God. It, true righteousness really only comes from God. Once, once you start thinking your good choices make you good people, then you'll look down on those who don't make the same good choices. Because they're not Who are Republicans are really convinced that he's a Republican. You know why? If they were convinced he was a Democrat, they'd be really uncomfortable. The Democrats are really convinced that Jesus is a Democrat. Otherwise, they'd have to change parties. Some of us, just this is short list, some of us sent along for an appointment with therapist Jesus so that he could make us feel better. You know, I could just have a few minutes with Jesus my therapist. And, and, and others insist that Jesus loves everyone all the time as long as he was a Christian. What's the common denominator there? He's a Republican, he's a Democrat, he's a guy who needs some help, he's who wants to be comforted, me who wants you to agree with me because Jesus can love you. See, the problem with thinking, the problem with thinking that Jesus is like you is that you begin to see everyone who is not like you as anti-Jesus. Jesus is like that. 
We, we need to change how we think and how we act. We need to change our perspective.
uh, of Galilee preaching. Well, he went into Bay County, really, the whole area. Well, exactly where? Well, in verse 15, it tells us he went down by the Sea of Galilee, or the, the lake, which is not really the sea, but it's a big lake, but by the lake and the Sea of Galilee, and when he called his first disciples, uh, in verse 21, he, he gets a turn of Jezreel, uh, and then afterwards, immediately after that, he's at Peter and Andrew's house, and then after that, the villages and synagogues all through the region of Galilee. And then because that leper wouldn't keep his mouth shut that we read about this morning, he had to stay out in the remote places and people kept coming to him. He couldn't go into town anymore. He was out in remote places. He went to hide in the North Woods and people still found him. Okay, there's no North Woods in the Middle East, but Jesus was having dinner uh, at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Meaning what? See, I what? Because I have my own personal opinion. But, you know, just when you're a preacher, teacher, you're supposed to know what the Jesus actually said. Because you don't want to tell, I don't want to tell you. That it says something that it's not saying, right? So I've done all kinds of research, and well, this is what I found out. I apparently am the only person who's ever walked the face of the earth, or at least has written books. Uh, I haven't written books, but it, it, the people who give you the resources, nobody cares who the many are. So here's what I'm guessing I'm right. But it's just my guess. And I'm telling you right up front that it is my guess. But my guess is, when it says there were many who followed him, he's talking about tax collectors and sinners. There were many tax collectors and sinners who followed him. By the way, I just want you to know that we've added, in these short little verses, these a couple paragraphs, we have added two more places where Jesus did his ministry, did his work. One was, again, yeah, uh, down by the seashore at a tax collector's group. And then the last one is at a tax collector's house at a dinner party. So we get that. I just want to point out to you already that the ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry that Jesus has blessed all the departments, all the little boxes. 
Jesus, there was no social recession and there was no church in the world. No, no sanctuary in Jesus, no lacking uh, down. Jesus did buzz because we go through the gospel of Mark, you'll find it true. Jesus does the vast majority of his work right in the middle of everyday life. In the everyday world where everybody's doing their everyday work. The Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be in search of religious facilities. So we tend to think that the Holy Spirit mostly works when people gather in the church building.
Jesus constantly shows us what it looks like when the Holy Spirit works through a human person to convert desecrated places and to restore their sacred character. Jesus has drawn desecrated people. He didn't know unsacred people. Who have been broken and hurt. And he's drawn, he's drawn to these hopes and these people. He touches a desiccated leper. You cannot get, in that culture, in that time, you could not get any lower on the totem pole than it. Your lepers were untouchable and separated from everyone. They couldn't go home. The only people they could hang out with were other lepers. They went anywhere, they had to yell, unclean, 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 unclean. Nobody dared come close. They had a whole confusion of sinners, and nobody wanted it. He's a desecrated leper. Comes to Jesus, and he touched him. He could have just said, You're healed. But he did the one thing nobody was supposed to do. And instead of Jesus becoming desecrated too, he sanctified and made sacred the sick leper who was no longer a leper. That's how it works in the He approaches the despised tax collector, meets him outward in front of God and everybody, literally, outdoors in the castle, the whole group, and he says to him, Follow me. And restores him to his God-given sacredness as a called one. See, when, when, when sin, when our rebellion touches the sacred, it becomes desacred, desecrated. But, but when, when Jesus, the sacred one, touches the Desecrated one, the desecrated one becomes sacred again. That's what got him in trouble. That's what got him in so much trouble with the religious authorities and teachers and the Pharisees because it was their job, their self appointed job, by the way, their job to maintain the boundaries. Redeem. and untouchable between sinners and righteous people, between sacred and secular. With their job to maintain the boundaries, and Jesus comes along and just blows the boundaries all the pieces. There it was.
which is not in the plan. When you walk with Him, if you are walking with Him, you still touch people that are untouchable. You will love social media, and you will see people with His eyes of compassion. Other deprecated ones through that. Let me just have a close to that. This is where we get ourselves in so much trouble thinking that somehow our good things can be taken from us. You and I are lepers. We cannot heal ourselves, but we've been healed. Go anywhere without meeting. You may not even need to leave this room, but 
why we're here. We're not here. Jesus didn't restore us. He didn't cut down and restore us so that we could sit around and have little parties with each other or every week. And then just go about the rest of our lives and just couple little sentences. They are not original with me, but they're short, they're sweet, and they're to the point, and they're easy to remember. Okay? Way easier than remember those things to think of one something that doesn't go with the children. Save people, teach people. That's an idea. Why don't you just repeat that thing you all right, that's a good idea. We'll do that. Understand the European. Save people, teach people. This would be the easier. This is almost all the same words. Found people, find people. Okay? That's why we exist. Jesus doesn't save us so that we can feel better. Yeah, yeah. you do. But that's not the purpose. He's recruiting an army. He spread his kingdom and drove his family. Well, that sounds wonderful, Pastor. Can you make that practical? Yes, I can. Thank you for asking. Find a personal ministry. Well, I'm not qualified. I know, but that's okay. So the fastest way to build your trust in who Jesus is, to know, okay, they believe that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He promised to you. The fastest way to build that faith is to put yourself in spirit and in ministry, in service to other people. You're not qualified, but He can still work through you. Because remember, it's the Holy Spirit in you helping people through you. It's not your work, it's His work through you. So find a personal ministry to people outside the walls of the church building. Every program we have as a congregation is about us. And most, if not all of us, understand 
helps me to be honest with the person. That's why he called us. That's why he touched us. So, I don't, I'm not telling you I don't care about the program, but I am telling you that it's more important for us to go out and minister to people in the community. Okay, well, Pastor, first of all, irritating. Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, and second of all, still pretty general, foggy ideas. Good, I'm glad you're asking for something more concrete because I'm going to give you one. This is not the only one, but I'm going to give you one place where I know you can do something. Volunteer as a missionary director. They're, they're always looking for help doing things like some of us. The, the, the people contact needs to be kept for me for some reason. And it's okay. And I, I have a hard time convincing people of this, but it is true. I understand extroverts and introverts because I am half of each. Nobody believes me when I say that, but it's true. I have I have personality profiles for students. Okay, they're not similar types. Yeah, there's no question. Okay, so so to be short clothes, you'll you'll still meet somebody. You'll still have interaction with you. Some people, but it won't be like, right? You can work in the kitchen, and you're going to see a lot more people working in the kitchen. Because everybody needs somebody. Or you can help in one of their life skills. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, but what do you do? I'm glad you asked. I'm volunteering two hours every week. Literally, the, the lady just nearly passed out. 
no one has ever remembered anything I said to them or asked about it. It is not hard to trust people with Jesus' love who are so desperately thirsty for it. Except when we're trying to hide and protect ourselves. It is a good complicated because they need to be called. I did ask somebody how to do that. Now, I mean, it's fast forward to those of you that have been asked by the regular. I know. Fine. No, really, believe it or not, I want to know, how are you doing? Is this life? Can you fix it? You don't need to invite them to church, especially the first conversation you've ever had after two or three years of life. Okay? You don't have to call the Good Samaritan Rescue Mission, but I'm inviting you to call the Good Samaritan Rescue Mission. I want to encourage you to somehow, some way, find a way to interact with people who are just like that, desecrated by our rebellion and sin. That Jesus wants to touch. Here's the phone number. Here's the phone number for the mission. Now, I know that this is kind of something we need to wait until tomorrow to work on because uh, most of the offices are closed right now. Uh, but call them tomorrow. That's the phone number for this. Just call them and ask to talk to the person in charge of volunteers. You know what? I would find absolutely hilarious if the next time I see Jill, that's her name, Jill, she's a very nice person, yeah, we know Jill. Do you think she would hurt anybody? No. But instead, you can call her and you talk to her. I think it would be hilarious if the next time she, she does, do you know I've got like 10 phone calls for people in your church? Now, 10, you know, that's a little low. So imagine what would happen. What would happen to her day if she got 30 phone calls? Hey, is there something I can do? How can I get hooked up with the wrong people? Here's the tool. You have no parts left over when you get done. That you can do that. There, there's always something. So let me pray for you, okay? Uh, allow me to pray for you. Holy Spirit, please ask. Please ask for us so that we don't just listen to this message and go home saying something like, My church has kept me away from this. Please ask for us until we do what Jesus does. Otherwise, we just want to keep on fooling ourselves thinking that we're just fine and we're far from it. 
keep accurate until we serve others and love our brother and believe Jesus Christ, until we see them with his eyes and his eyes and keep Father sent me, so I am now sending you. When you live in love as persons filled by the Holy Spirit, you will touch broken people and they will be saved. Broken people are waiting for your compassion. So joyfully bearing the love, they say, in the love and the glory of God. And then, no matter what happens, Wisdom of our loving Heavenly Father, along with the care of our blessed Holy Spirit, with you every step of the way. 